Since sheltering in place, many of us have been attending lots of Zoom meetings. And some of us have also been attending some Zoom seminars. This week, uh, I attended a Zoom seminar on how to put on good Zoom seminars. And uh, ironically, and a little comically, this seminar on how to put on good Zoom seminars (laughs) was not very good. Uh, That's a little painful. I can tell you of a Zoom seminar that I would sign up for, though, tomorrow. Anything put on by this guy by the name of Polycarp, who was uh, a a leader of the early church back in the uh, post-apostolic period. Uh, I spoke about him, if you get this history podcast I do, I, I talked about him about a month ago. Polycarp was this wonderful, winsome, witty, bold, and courageous guy. He was born in 69 in uh, Smyrna, which is what the second letter uh, of the books of the seven churches, the church in Smyrna is the second one. So he was born in Smyrna, and he was discipled briefly by John the Apostle. And, uh, and then later in his life, he becomes the bishop of Ephesus, which is the position that John the Apostle has when he is writing, transcribing this uh, vision that he was given, the book of Revelation. So um, there's a lot of things that are said about Polycarp. He was, he was winsome. He was, he was well-liked. He wrote a letter to the church in uh, Philippi, which of course sort of models the church that or the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote 70 years earlier. Also, what's known about Polycarp was the way he died. He was a martyr. The word martyr uh, in, in Greek means witness. He was a witness in his death for Jesus Christ. So Polycarp had been a Christian since the time he was a young man. When he was 86, somehow he gets sideways with the Romans And word is out that he's going to be arrested and killed. And his friends all want him to flee. And he said, no, I'm not going to. Um, And so when he knew the soldiers were coming, he made it a point to be home. And the soldiers came to his house. He invited them in, offered them something to eat. They said, well, we're actually here to, uh, to force you to say that Caesar is Lord. He says, yeah, I know, but I'm not going to say it. And they said, well, then you're going to be killed. And he goes, yeah, no, I understand how this is going to work. And uh, they say, well, we're going to take you to the Colosseum now. And he says, well, could I have an hour to pray? And they agree. And so he goes into the next room, and they can hear him pray. Supposedly he prayed for two hours, and his prayers were so passionate and uh, persuasive that one of the soldiers ends up becoming a Christian right then. They then take him, and they're, they're marching him to the Colosseum, and they're, they're, they're pleading with him at this point because they like him so well. He's, again, he's this wonderful guy everybody likes. They like him, and they say, just say Caesar is Lord. Just say Caesar is Lord. If you will just say it, just quietly whisper it, we'll let you go. And he says, 80 and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and Savior. So they take him into the Colosseum. There's a bunch of people there. Some other Christians had been killed earlier that day. And he gets grilled by the pro-council who's in charge. And there's a banter that goes back and forth. Uh, the the pro-council uh, initially says, I'm going to feed you to the wild animals. And he says, uh, bring it on. And uh, the crowd sees his sort of arrogance and they, they shout, death to the atheists. 
Because Christians, uh, as well as Jews, were considered by many in Roman society to be atheists because they didn't believe in all the gods. They wouldn't worship all these gods. They just believed in one god, but they were called atheists. And, uh, and so this, is, uh, this banter goes back and forth. They say, you know, death to the atheists. And he sort of steps back and says... Death to the atheists. And this makes the proconsul mad. And he says, I'm not, I'm going to actually, I'm going to have you burned at the stake. And, and uh, Polycarp says, you know, okay, that, that, that fire will actually last only a short period of time. Not like the fire of the second death where all the unrighteous go, obviously suggesting the proconsul himself. That is a fire that will burn on and on. And so he says, enough, uh, nail him to the, to the stake and, and uh, Polycarp says, you don't need to nail me. I'm not going to run. Uh, he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from the nails. Uh, and with that, he is killed. And there's a book that's written about all of this. Uh, he provides courage, uh, which is a good thing, provides courage to others, which is a good thing, and which is sort of central to the letter we're going to look at today, because it's a letter written to people who are fearful because they are suffering. Suffering is uh, the, the, the topic, and it is a big topic in the Bible because it's a big topic in life. And I know that some of you right now are struggling uh, you are going to be able to relate to some of the descriptions that you find here. Um, but I want you to understand, Jesus told us that we should expect to suffer. We see that there was suffering that went on with the apostles. Uh, it, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and in Revelation 20 will tell us that, that if we suffer for righteousness sake, there is an eternal reward. Um, and so that's the, that's the backdrop. Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, was a great model for the letter that gets written to the people in Smyrna about suffering. So today we are in uh, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse 8. Let me just note that this, again, is the second of seven letters that were written by Jesus, transcribed by John, who's this older man at this point. He's been, been called up into heaven. Uh, sees Jesus, the, the resurrected Jesus, and power and glory. That's chapter 1. And then he's told to, uh, to write these things down. There were 10 churches in the area. Uh, the, the seven churches that, that are identified here are not uh, the seven biggest churches, but they were templates. They were examples of all churches. And so Jesus uh, offers insight, critique, encouragement, and challenge to these churches in this circular letter that makes up the first part of the book of Revelation. By the way, these were uh, real churches at the time. There were seven of them. I've led uh, tours where we've looked at these, uh, at, at the ruins of most sites. Um, Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, it's the modern-day city of Izmir in Turkey, is one of only two places that, that has a city that is continuing to function. And uh, that's, that's not necessarily um, 
well, it's a, it's a fascinating place, but it's not necessarily a great thing for the people of Izmir because they're living in a city that has been going for 3,000 years, which means it's really hard to get building permits there. And when people start to do excavation to remodel your kitchen and they find archaeological artifacts over the last 3,000 years, then uh, you sort of lose control of your project. But First letter was to the church in Ephesus. That was a big church. They were doing a number of things right, but they had lost their first love. And then I challenged you to write a letter, a love letter to God. And I know many of you did because some of you sent them to me and I've been hearing about it. Uh, That was last week. We now come to a very different church. So... um, Again, Izmir is a, is a beautiful city today. Smyrna had, had been established 1,000 B.C. It had been a city for uh, about 400 years. It then uh, it, it collapsed. It, there was no city there for 400 years. It comes back under Alexander the Great in 200 B.C., and it has continued to exist from, from there. When we were there at the last time, I had one of the most spectacular evenings I'm going to remember forever, this, uh, uh, this dinner looking out over the bay. It's a natural harbor. It's got many uh, advantages to it. So um, Smyrna is the place that this letter is being written to. And um, the, the name Smyrna, just so you know, there, there's, there's a lot of undercurrents in this letter. The name Smyrna has the word myrrh in it. And uh, myrrh, and I have some myrrh right here, uh, myrrh was a resin that was used in embalming. And what we're going to see is uh, that there's a theme of death and suffering that weaves its way through in a variety of different ways. And uh, it's, it is here uh, in the name, and it's going to be here in the references to Jesus. So um, there's a few other things that you should know about Smyrna. It was a rival to... Um, it was a rival to uh, Rome at the time, or excuse me, to Ephesus at the time, which is about 30 miles away. Uh, it, was a, it was the home of, of the imperial cult for Rome. So the imperial cult, meaning this, this was the, in, in 26 uh, AD, they had bid, they were one of 11 cities that had bid for the right to build the temple to Tiberius, the emperor Tiberius, so that that's where you would go to worship Tiberius as a god. Uh, it has this big stadium, 20,000 seats. There's about 100,000 people in Smyrna, and they have a stadium that seats 20,000, which talks about what a big part of their life this was. I was watching, as I'm sure many of you, watching football last week, and so I'm watching a bit of the game between the Cowboys and the Rams at the new SoFi Stadium. And it's a $5 billion stadium. And it seats 70,000 people. So just just do the math here. 70,000 seat stadium for LA, a couple teams and other things. So, but LA has got 10 million people in greater LA. So the city here of Smyrna has 100,000 people. They have a stadium that seats 20,000. So this is a big part of their identity. And as I said, it's a key letter because of the themes undergirding it about suffering. So let's uh, look now at um, Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, 
So this is standard format, sounds just like last week. All the letters have the same format. Angel is a messenger. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. Jesus directing John to write these down. These are the words of him who is the first and last who died and came back to life. So the book of Revelation actually has more references back to the Old Testament than any other New Testament book. And many of the references back are references, the books of Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and some of the prophets, but the, the references back are to the names and titles of God the Father. And they get pulled into the book of Revelation as names and titles for Jesus, which is a powerful sort of statement that Jesus is God. And so um, we're seeing a little bit of that here with the first and the last. And then this, this idea of he died and came back to life is playing on the theme of death. And it is, it's, a, it's a title of Jesus that actually relates to the city of Smyrna because the people in Smyrna thought of themselves as this city that had been going 1,000 B.C. to 600 B.C., and then it had died. And for 400 years, it had been dead. And then it came back to life. And so we're seeing uh, a little bit of this sort of being woven through. But the other point here in verse 8 is this idea that, that Jesus is looking at what is going on. Jesus is the one in heaven. He's looking down on them. He knows what's going on. He understands. He's going to be the one that understands their suffering, understands their fear, understands their, their pain and confusion. These are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again. Verse 9, I know of your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. So there's two churches that are only affirmed. Of the seven churches, one church is just simply uh, admonished. They're doing everything wrong. Four of the churches are doing some things right and some things wrong. Two churches are only doing things right, or at least they're only affirmed by Jesus. Smyrna and Philadelphia, which were two very small, poor, struggling churches. Uh, these are not churches that, that were getting lots of, uh, of airplay. These were not churches by any worldly standards that anyone would be attention, paying attention to. Um, doesn't mean that small is good and big is bad, but it certainly means big is not necessarily good because the churches that are being affirmed here are small. And he recognizes three challenges that they're having. So uh, I know of your afflictions. And the, the word that's used here in the Greek, there's a number of different words that could be used. And he uses the word flipsis, which means uh, grinding, uh, heavy pressure, suffering, cruel. It's not, it's not minor suffering. The word is used to refer to what happens to grapes that are being turned into wine, right? Just sort of mashed down to pulp. This is the word. He says, I know of your afflictions. Then he says, and I know of your poverty. Okay, so a variety of different words that could be used here. Most notably, there's one word that could describe someone who would be uh, classified as working poor. So you are, you're not rich. You're making it, but just barely. That's not the word that's used here. The word that is used here to describe their poverty is destitute. 
You are absolutely uh, ground down. You've got nothing. And then um, goes on uh, to say, verse 9, And I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So third thing, so they're up against, they're up against uh, suffering, afflictions, they're up against poverty, they're up against slander. So the, the, the Christians in Smyrna, they've, they've got it tough in part. First of all, they're in this, this city that is all about Rome, right? They've got the, they have built the temple to the Roman emperor. And once a year you were expected uh, everybody was expected to go to the temple to offer a little pinch of, it, of sacrifice and to say Caesar is Lord. And if you did that, you would, get, you would get a piece of paper, you would get a seal, and then you could keep working. But if you wouldn't do that, you could not work. And, and so the, the, the Christians have been forced out. There were, there were guilds that, were, that sort of controlled the town. It was not a union town. It was sort of a step more union than union. It was a gilded town. If you weren't part of the guild, you didn't have a place to live. You didn't have a community. You didn't have a school. You didn't have, you didn't have a job, right? The guilds were sort of providing everything. So the Romans are pushing the, the, the Christians out. But it's not the Roman persecution that Jesus highlights here. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So the Jews are the ones that are causing the real problems in this sense for the Christians. And uh, so we think that what's happening for a, for a while after, uh, after Christ's resurrection Christians, Christianity was seen as a, as a subset of Judaism. And Christians were almost exclusively Jews, and they would worship in the synagogue oftentimes on Saturday and then, and then worship the resurrection on Sunday. And so uh, the Romans looking on just thought, well, you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots and the Christians. These are all just big part of what it means to be a Jew. The Jews had a special get-out-of-jail-free card when it came to the Romans. Even though they were quote-unquote atheists and wouldn't say Caesar is Lord, they didn't have to. But they have apparently, since Nero has come after the Christians, they are, they are pushing the Christians away. And, uh, and in the, the book about the death of Polycarp, it's the Jews that are calling for Polycarp to be killed. And so there's this, there's this sort of threefold whammy. They're under, they're under suffering, they're under poverty, and they're being slandered. He writes, verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. So this, by the way, is the exact same statement. Well, do not be afraid is the same thing that John would have heard a chapter uh, earlier when he is called up to see Jesus. Do not be afraid. Um, I almost didn't tell the Polycarp story because... Um, Polycarp is so bold and so, you know, bring it on and yeah, I'm, I'm okay to die and you don't have to nail me to the, to the stake. I'll stand in the fire and die. And that's not the way most people experience life and face their own death. And there's a little bit too much here. I, I want to point out the fact that, again, whenever, we are, whenever we're finding in Scripture some statement to not be afraid, 
it means that people are afraid, right? I mean, the, the, the comments are being directed to people who are struggling with this. And so uh, Jesus says, I, I know you're struggling. I know you've got persecution. You don't know how you're going to make it. You're feeling crushed. You're being slandered. It, you don't, everything is going against you. Hang in there. Do not be afraid. And then he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And we don't know if the 10 days means a literal 10 days or it's just a period of time, whatever. But Jesus is saying, God is saying, I know that you're suffering, and I can look ahead and see that you are going to suffer even more. And some of you are going to die in this new wave of persecution. Um, when when you say you're suffering and you're, you're going to be imprisoned, uh, in the first century, you didn't generally go to prison for any length of time. You were just held in prison until uh, you could have a, a court date. And then the court date, you're either freed or you're you know, you're, you're whipped, you're punished somehow, and then freed, or you're killed. Most likely, you're killed. And so um, that is what they are likely facing. And, and hear this. This is to people who are in the, the best church, right? There's only, there's only one church in the New Testament that, is, that, is, that hears that they are spiritually rich. And it's the church in Smyrna. And the message to the church in Smyrna is, you're going to suffer. And I see it. I, I know it. I, and and I'm, I, I want you to hang in there. I know what you are going through. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you a life as your victor's crown. And the word crown, diadem, is not the word that's used here. That would be a royal crown. It's, a, it's more of a laurel wreath kind of thing. Uh, because again, they've got this 20,000 seat stadium that would watch a lot of athletic events. They had, uh, it was a beautiful city. They had lots of weddings there and, and brides and grooms would wear laurel wreaths. So it's this, it's this celebratory laurel wreath. Verse 11, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So um, the second death is, is, is hell. That's, um, it's, it's, this sort of comes full circle back to my story with Polycarp. Uh, when, he, when they said, you know, I'm, I'm going to have you burned, when the proconsul said, I'm going to have you burned, and he says, that, that fire is going to go out quickly. Uh, the fire that you need to be worried about is not going to. And so uh, what, what Jesus is saying is, um, I know you're going to suffer. Hang in there. And the reward that comes on the other side is uh, eternal life beyond what you can possibly comprehend. So let me just summarize some of this and try and put some of this in context for us today. If you're paying attention, what you heard is God saying, uh, I know life is hard for you at this moment. I've been watching and you're doing well. And again, this is to a small struggling group that is under persecution, that doesn't have money, and is being slandered. <laughs> I'm, 
You're doing well. I'm watching you. I know what's going on. And let's not miss how significant it is that God says, I know. Sometimes, and uh, I certainly had to learn this in uh, marriage, uh, all somebody wants is to be heard. All somebody wants is for somebody to know uh, that they're suffering, that they're struggling, that, that they had a bad day, that things aren't working, right? And, and all that is necessary is to just listen and say, I, I hear you, and I'm sorry, and I'm watching, and I care, and I, I'm not going to try and fix this for you. And so we see that, uh, that God is saying to people who are struggling, I know, I know all about the unpaid bills, and I know about your stress about work, and I know that you're struggling with this whole kid studying at school, or not studying at school, studying at home. I, I know you are stressed. I'm watching, and I'm proud of you. There are times, as a pastor, when I find myself saying, Lord, okay, um, I'm trying. Like, I'm really trying. <laughs> and things are all going wrong. And, and you know, I just have got to sort of talk, pray that out and say, and you know, and you know that I desire to do better. You know that I desire to have better desires. And you know that I'm trying. And, and part of the, part I think of the genius of this message the genius of this letter is just this affirmation to those that are in Smyrna of Jesus in heaven looking down saying, I know, I know, I know what you're going through. And in fact, it's going to get worse. Now, I think it's important that we make peace with the fact that it could get worse. Uh, there's lots of people who think, if I am doing the right thing, then my life is going to work. It's going to be easy. And if my life isn't easy, then uh, either there is no God or God isn't paying attention or somehow I'm getting punished. No. Look, um, Jesus suffered. Job suffered. The disciples suffered. Polycarp suffered. These are people of great faith. And here God is saying, in, in, in one sense, to all of them and to you and, and to the people in Smyrna, I'm watching, and just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Now, in the suffering, what we're being told is that we need to exercise faith. We need to stay strong. We need to push on. And what often happens in suffering is that our faith wavers. And I think very specifically, the, the point that, 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 that Jesus is saying is, push on to the end. Don't waver. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your trust. Don't sacrifice your faith. And so I want to say, by wrapping this up, that um, we need each other when there is suffering. We need to encourage especially those who are struggling and suffering. So last week, I asked you to write a letter to God. This week, I'm going to ask you to write a letter to someone who is suffering. 
Now, I have, I have a couple other things I want to say to you. First of all, I want to encourage you also to be praying for people that are suffering, especially the persecuted church. I just saw, I was reading an article earlier this week. Um, in the last 2,000 years, they estimate there have been 36 billion people that have walked on the planet. 36 billion people in 2,000 years. Of those 12 billion heard, in the loosest sense, the most generous definitions, heard the gospel, 8 billion people made some sort of decision to follow Christ. Of those, 8 billion that have made a decision to follow Christ, 70 million have been martyred. Mostly by the state. Some by other Christians, remarkably. Some by Muslims. I mean, there's other things that are happening, but most by the state. Of those 45 million have been martyred in the 20th century, half of those were in Russia. Here's the deal. Here's what I'm saying. If you do the math, one in every 120 Christians, historically, 0.8% of Christ followers lose their life for their faith. And so I want you to be alert to that. I want you to be praying for people who are suffering persecution in any way, shape, and form. I also want to challenge you to make peace with the fact that you are going to die. Look, death is an enemy, but Jesus has defeated it, and it's not the enemy. And many people today live as if everybody goes to heaven and nobody dies. And the fact of the matter is, everybody dies, not everybody goes to heaven. And, and the, the witness of the martyrs ought to remind us and help us to see there are things far more significant than life, than not dying. You're going to die, I'm going to die. But the second death has no hold over those who are in Christ. So, write a letter this week to someone who is suffering and needs encouragement. Pray for those who are being persecuted. Stare down the worst of this. Suffering may be coming your way. I don't know that. But suffering may be coming your way. But God is watching. Be strong. Hang on. You can make it. Let me pray. Lord God, even now we do pray for those uh, who are struggling around the world in China and North Korea and Saudi Arabia and various parts of Indonesia who are, who are suffering for their faith, who may be at risk of losing their life right now. Father, we pray for them as we pray for others who are struggling with just a sense of hope, uh, feeling very much like the Smyrna Christians who are, who are being slandered, who are, who are poor, who are facing uh, afflictions from all sides. Father, may you give them a sense of peace and hope, and may we as a collective body give each other encouragement and hope. Thank you for watching. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.